Hello and welcome to the Healed Approach podcast. I am your host, Rebecca Heald, workplace wellbeing and leadership consultant. The aim of this podcast is to bring the human back into leadership. It's about how success depends on healing, connection and better relationships because these are really key to well-being. You will find an open, honest and vulnerable approach that will inspire and motivate you on your business journey because fundamentally, well-being and leadership all come down to human connection. This is the real key to happier humans and better business outcomes. I really hope that you enjoy the show. So today I am joined on the Hilda Approach podcast by Rebecca Ann. Welcome, Rebecca. It's so amazing to have you here. Hi. Well, thank you very much, Rebecca, for having me. And now it sounds like I'm talking to myself. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'll try to remember to call you Rebecca Ann so we're not getting mixed up, even though... (laughs) <laughs> I just shared this just before we started recording. My middle name is also Anne, so it does seem very bizarre. But Rebecca, thank you so much. Rebecca Anne. Rebecca Anne is a leadership expert and mentor, helping women excel into leadership. So as you can see, there are more synchronicities. She's the founder of the Successful Leaders Collective, an empowering community and safe space designed specifically for high achieving women. And she also has her own international consultancy business. Prior to this, Rebecca Ann practiced as a lawyer and also worked for the UK government. And it was there where she pioneered her leadership style, breaking free from the old way and into a new responsive and balanced approach with rewarding results. It was this approach that led her to her methodology of delivering initiatives being converted into best practice nationwide. With an innate sense of justice, Rebecca is never shy of putting her head above the parapet and using her voice to advocate for equality, diversity and inclusion. Tired of bad leadership and lack of change, Rebecca left the corporate world to go her own way. So (laughs) it really does feel like someone's just holding up a mirror for me today because I think, you know, there's so much... That resonates, but this is what you know. The most amazing thing. So it's gone a bit of a segue, but the most amazing thing about this podcast has been, you know, the the people that I'm attracting because the people that I'm attracting to come on this podcast are, you know, are so in alignment, and so it's been fascinating. The conversations have been amazing. So Rebecca Anne, again, thank you so much for being here. I I guess there's so much that I want to kind of delve into with you. But I really love this idea that you are, you know, you're wanting to create safe spaces and particularly for women. Um, and you're, you're trying to kind of break the mold and, and break free from oppression, it sounds like. So can you tell me more about that, what that means, what that looks like? Yeah, so I suppose if we start with, we have so many pressures as women before we even get into the workplace. And especially, um, definitely of my generation, um, we've had a very long history of that societal pressure, cultural pressure to be a certain way. And as women, we are constantly given different edicts to measure ourselves against. Um, And, you know, for instance, when I started out in law, like I had to, it was that the pressure was to wear a skirt to pass my exams because that was court dress for a woman. And we have moved on a little bit, thankfully, from that. But that, yeah, I I know, I know. It seems crazy at the time that I didn't question it because there were bigger things that actually were in front of me. And I was really naive to actually, we don't really have equality. 
And I was really naive to all the messages that we have been given, which really feed in and do not disappear when we enter the workplace. And so you've got all of that. And then you've also got the pressure that we're meant to do everything, be everything, have everything and do it all by ourselves and all at once. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, statistically, we're still not there. If you, if you look statistically very, very broadly, um, women are still doing the lion's share of raising children and all of the housework. So that can add anything from two to four hours onto your day. Mm-hmm. Now in the workplace, neurotypical kids anyway. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And then if you then look at the statistics around women getting recognition, which ultimately leads to, do they get opportunities? Women are having to do 150% versus a hundred percent for what men do. So there's that half again to just meet the expectation of what men have to deliver to get the same recognition at workplace. And it creates this um, environment where we've got all this pressure that we have to be. So we still have to be that nurturing, that caring, that provider at home. If you have children, you still have to be, maybe look a certain way. There are still pressures around that. We haven't escaped that. You've got social media pressures. And then you move on to that you have to deliver more to get the same recognition at work. That does not create a healthy situation to be like, hey, I need help. Because you're already on the back foot. You're already feeling the pressure from so many different angles. And I I see it a lot. People will come to me um, women will come to me and I used to see it, you know, their language around wanting a mentor. So often they say, I know I should be able to do this by myself. And I pause them and say, why? That that word should though, that word should, uh, yeah, it needs to be eradicated. (laughs) Oh, and actually more people than you realize in your workplace, have support, have a mentor, have a coach, have support in so many different ways, but also we don't talk about it because no one wants to own it. And I see very capable people thinking that they have to go alone, not getting the support they need. And then someone who is less capable getting that support and then flying. And then that person is thinking, what's wrong with me? And they're starts a spiral super super powerful and i think one thing i really struggle with is this rhetoric that you know we have equality and that you know this gender gap doesn't exist and that you know women are treated the same and that you know we're getting paid the same it's just not true (laughs) it is not true and I think, you know, it's just, it's down to the, the, the minutiae. It's down to the, the way that policies are written. It's down to, you know, the, uh, you know, the benefits that organizations or corporates are offering that aren't inclusive whatsoever. It's down to those microaggressions in the workplace. And how do you, as a woman, so for me, 
it's all well and good empowering women to have a voice, you know, but if you're not able to also change the structures and the systems that they're operating within, what's the point? <laughs> you know, I totally agree with you. There is one thing to empower a voice, but if it's not heard, where's it going? Yeah. Because normally that voice lands on the person that's already got the message. Oh, absolutely. And I, I talk about this as well, a lot about um, well-being as well in the workplace and about how a lot of like tip of the iceberg stuff, like if you're doing a, you know, a particular initiative in a workplace, it's going to land on people that are already kind of in that mindset. It's the same with mental health, anything. It's always going to land on those that are probably open to it anyway. But what about those most vulnerable people that aren't being heard, like you said, or that aren't listening? Sorry, going off on a tangent there, but I think this 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 spans across so many sectors and so many, um, you know, societal um, issues. I guess for a better word. But sorry, go back. Yeah, what you were talking about. It lands. It's about being heard, isn't it? Yeah, and it, and and the biggest difficulty is finding those people who can be an alliance for you. Mm-hmm. And I have had amazing examples. I've had spectacular examples both sides of that where. People are not like you don't find that alliance in that leadership and they are death to it. And I have had amazing examples of where people are and and managers are willing to hear and listen. Um, But I have a definite like I can't let go. If I get something (laughs) between the teeth, if I'm there, I can't. And I've challenged because I will get. Oh, absolutely. And and. At the time when I worked for government, I would have a lot of my stories when I would speak. I would merely get batted back by, well, that was because you were a lawyer and that's endemic, you know, systemic of the of the industry. And in the end, we did a whole anonymous um, project around this where a survey where, where women could come forward with those type of microaggressions and come forward with their experience as a woman working not you know obviously within government and beyond and the survey was it just proved that what I was talking about wasn't actually just because of the industry I had come from okay I was just brave enough to voice what had been happening to me and I have to hold the hands up and I have to say leadership in that instance did take note and did listen which is which is a good thing but i had to be brave enough to push back and say this is not just because i've come from that industry this is actually across the board and those microaggressions are often very difficult to handle because as i said we've already created this situation or or the environment where women don't feel less likely to raise their hand they don't want to see they don't want to seem weak you know they they want to be seen as strong we don't really embrace um, or we, we have a misunderstanding, I think, really as a society that when you say feminine, it somehow means weak and to be strong somehow means masculine. Yeah. So traits that are traditionally like associated with the feminine immediately, you know, can be seen as weak and therefore women don't want to raise their hand. Or not, not tangible. You know, feminine traits around, you know. Overly emotional, overly sensitive. And then you've, so you've got all of that backdrop. Women don't want to raise their hands. 
and then you're getting these microaggressions. And so you already can feel disempowered. The microaggressions, you're less likely to act on the first one because you're like, was it, is it, what just happened? Is it just me? Because we're taught that things are our problem as women if things happen to us. Oh gosh, yes. So then you think, okay, well I'll leave it and just make sure that person was just having an off day. Then it builds and it's not, you're asking that person that now feels disempowered, doesn't feel like they are in a space where they can, you know, raise their hand because they might look weak. And then you're going often to somebody who, you know, statistics will say leadership is predominantly male. So you might have to go to a male and say, hey, this is happening to me. And that person, first of all, you might have to even explain to them why that comment is a problem. Yeah. yeah. That's a huge thing to ask somebody who is already disempowered to do because they have got to validate their own voice when they feel like they're not being validated. Like it's such a hard ask to do. And, it, and it's often sometimes, you know, putting your finger on the microaggression. It's so hard sometimes to really, really pinpoint what it is. I absolutely uh, agree because and I think it's hard to pinpoint what it is because it's become so accepted I think um or so many things have become so accepted and you know we just believe that we are I don't want to use the word inferior because that's the wrong word to use but I think like you say we've got to there's so much pressure on us I suppose to not ask for that help and to not stand up but I think you you always know and I, I and I think this is again where, because you, like you said before, we're taught to not listen to ourselves, to not trust ourselves. So although we will, we will know when we are, when a microaggression is happening, we will know when we're being discriminated against in, you know, we will always know because we will, we will feel it as women. We will, but like you say, we can't always pinpoint it because we're not always sure what, what behavior is acceptable and what isn't, you know? And you don't want to go into a situation where you feel like this is somehow, like you feel hurt or you buy these comments and it's affecting you and then sit down and then someone tell you, you're being overly sensitive, they didn't mean it, you need to suck it up. If you don't have tough skin, you're never going to survive in the industry. That has been told to me. I'm like, I am, I have tough skin. Like, you know, I will, that's not the problem here, but it's then often so readily hit back at you. And you see that as women, if someone goes or, or raises it and nothing's done with them, why are you then gonna do it? But this thing around tough skin, I spoke about this recently on my on my um, social media, because I talked about when I first went into leadership, that was it, I had to develop this thick skin. And so why, why do we, you know, we, we can be strong, we can be internally strong without having to develop an armor. Why, why do we feel that we have to do that? Why do we feel that, you know, and like you say, it's not the feminine, like you say, feminine is seen as weak and masculine is seen as strong, but it's, it's all about, it's not necessarily about gender. It's about energy as well. And it's mm -hmm. about, you know, finding that balance. And I just, yeah, I, I think it's kind of, it's almost like 
<laughs> you know, you talk about kind of going off on a tangent. This is what happens with me. But, you know, we talk about how we 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 are safest. We feel safest in our bodies when we're in, when, when we're in homeostasis, when everything is in balance. Yes. And I think this is what's happening out there. I think this is what's happening in the workplace and, and in, in, in society as a whole, because I think, and this is me drawing back on my experience, but, you know, I I think as you get stronger standing up for yourself in the workplace, you can get also stronger standing yourself up, up for yourself in your prof- in your personal life too. Because if you are if you are accepting microaggressions, if you are accepting poor behavior at work, the chances are you're doing it in your relationships as well. Um, so there is a bigger agenda here, definitely. Um, but I just feel like nothing, everything's skew if everything's out of balance, you know, even as human beings, we're not finding that balance because we're living in this hustle culture and the masculine energy lends itself to the hustle culture. So the feminine energy is getting pushed aside. Absolutely. And then you have women that the, you know, if you're going to look around, how do you make it? You make it normally by being like those around you. If those around you who are displaying masculine traits, and again, I totally agree with you, this is about energy, you are pushing more women into mass into that masculine energy. Absolutely. So even if you have on the face of it a gender-balanced leadership, it could actually be skewed because if the energy is all masculine you've got a masculine leadership yeah. and I'm with you. You need balance. You need both. We both need to know how we step into our doing. We also have to know how we step into that listening, into that flow, into almost what I call that like win-win and that balanced. And I was someone that lived in my masculine and because I lived in my masculine at work. I lived in my masculine at home. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it's that kind of both worlds and that's not healthy at all for relationships, for you as a human being. My burnout rate was crazy. Oh, yes. This is what happens. Yeah. You know, you're in your masculine, you're a high achiever, you're a, you know, you're a high performer and, you know, what you're doing, you're in this constant cycle of burnout. Yeah, it's just, yeah. And yet when I learned how to actually, what did it mean to not be in my masculine and leadership and redefine and recreate what it meant for me, that is absolutely where my well-being, the well-being of my team and what I was able to create for government was just exponentially different to what I had done and our productivity, our well-being, the happiness, everything the connection we had was just totally polar to what it had been. Can you tell us what that looked like? Yeah, it's listening. If we really boil it down, it is listening and it is understanding what the other person needs, wants and their position. And knowing that just because you may be at odds to you, it doesn't mean that you're weak in acknowledging it. So I would do a lot of damage repair where I'd have all of this masculine energy going in, doing this, and policy would be decided. And then I would get this and I'd have to make it work, like implement it, embed it into the 
organizations um what i call in the real world like outside of government those that receiving government funds and normally i was having to do a relationship repair work mm. and mostly it was creating a safe space and this is for for men and women i was working with both the stakeholders giving them an opportunity to actually say what wasn't working and to listen to them and that didn't mean that i suddenly was giving them everything sometimes my hands were tied i i couldn't everybody we all come with our own like agendas or, or or objectives but it was giving them that space to be heard and also to validate that it was totally acceptable for them to feel like that and then it however that didn't mean that i could just give them everything they wanted and i think so often yeah and we're not taught conflict resolution no. because conflict resolution actually requires you to sit in a like feminine energy when you think about it yeah and if you're constantly pushing and you can't back down and you're stuck like that's not that's going to escalate that's not going to resolve it um and so there is a huge missing part i think within leadership and within the training and with just within this sphere because we haven't been able to or it's it's not developing fast enough embedding that different way what i call responsive as well it's like the way i reacted with my team i remember sitting in an interview and explaining my leadership style and being it's responsive to two men and they asked me three times to pick and they kept saying is it this is it this do you lead from the front <laughs> oh really yeah trying yeah. to be like no i i listen and i see my individual and i see how they need to be led and that doesn't it's mean centered. it's human centered isn't it yeah. it's putting the human at the middle of it all you know yeah and and that doesn't in itself create inequality because I can still treat people fairly and also respond to what they need. This is what I keep saying. This is what I keep saying. You know, you don't need, you know, equality. You don't need training in equality. You just need, you need to just be able to develop your listening skills and, you know, get in tune with your empathy. And the problem is, Rebecca Ann, I, I think for me for things and, and it's like you said things and things are not moving quickly enough i think things are changing and you know I, I do think they they are but i think a lot of it is lip service still at the moment but i, I for me i think it's the issue is we're asking people to do some internal work and that it's not just oh here's a training program to teach you you know this leadership style here's a matrix for you to plot that you know here's a um, you know, what, what do you call them? Personality, whatever. Um, it's your profile. This yeah, is exactly. That's the one. Um, you know, it's, it's actually, hold on a minute here. I don't want to fit into a box. I don't want to fit into a theory. I want to just go in inward a little bit and, you know, and, and reconnect with myself. Cause then when I can reconnect with myself, I can reconnect with my team. I can reconnect with my people. That's then when they're going to be more productive, they're going to be happier, they're going to be engaged. That's when we're going to make more money. That's mm. when we're going to change the economy, you know? Um, yeah. Oh, I'm, 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 I'm totally with you in that. And, and I think that's, that can be difficult 
for organizations to then provide because so where do you start with that do people want to truly open up in these sessions and who are you getting them sort of to teach this because some people don't understand you know i one of the things i did is i you know i i became trauma informed so that yeah yeah and, and it's not because i now help people cope with their full range of trauma. It's so I can recognize when that person that I'm mentoring, that that I'm working with, I can recognize when they're going into that and support them to get the appropriate level help. And this is what trauma-informed is all about. You know, it's not about, you're not trauma-focused, you know, because I remember when I was doing coaching and people were like, so you're trauma-informed, does that mean you're going to like dig up all, and I'm like, no, 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 I'm just going to recognize you know how that's impacting in you and this is the thing is that at the end of the day we have all or the majority of us have experienced trauma okay and so because of that we are not necessarily going to react well to a lot of the ways that leadership teams and organizations are dealing with things I'm sorry it's even the way that you know therapists certain therapists and counseling um you know kind of programs deal with things as well so that's going off on another tangent. But and, and going back to what you said about, um, you know, who, you know, our, our organisation is going to be open to this and, and who do you work with and who do you get to do this for you? Mm. It's about, for me, coming, stripping it right back to, to values. It's stripping it right back to, you know, where you stand as a business and an organisation. Because if within your values, you want to create this sense of belonging, you want people to feel heard, you've got this... You know, then then this absolutely is the the road that you need to be going down. You know, and I see this all the time. I see businesses that have got beautiful values, that have got a wonderful mission statement, but what they're doing on a day to day basis is not acting according to those. Mm. You know, and so then it's a case of well, actually, get real and honest about your values because does this really mean this to you? Do you really want this to be happening in your business in your space? Because if you don't, don't pay it lip service and just own own the fact that you don't you know you don't want to lead you just want to manage oh gosh I'm I'm so with you on that and and also that trickle down um I'm often going to organizations so in my consultancy business as well and I'm I'm doing kind of like looking at the whole processes and auditing and seeing is there that follow through right the way down and sometimes you can get it at leadership but it's not the appropriate markers of success all the way through. And what we're holding all levels of leadership to doesn't follow through. And then we are focusing far too much on merely the result and not actually how that outcome has been reached. And there's that accountability flowing right the way through. How do you identify that? As a business, I mean, obviously, you know, you're, you're a third party, you're an objective person. But as a business, how, if you, you know, how would you identify this? Because this is another issue that I find a lot in businesses. They're not, they're not seeing what's going on. They're not identifying this. So what, what would you recommend a business to do in order to be able to identify this? So you've got to come from the start of like, I've had mentors or I've had people support me, but they also may be deciding if I'm going to get a promotion. Why am I going to sit there and maybe spill everything out and say what I feel is wrong if you might be part of it or you're part of that decision making and you're part of the food chain? It is actually really important that you have a third party that can come in. I actually think you need that separation. I agree. So 
difficult to mark your own homework. And also, I think it's really taking heed of if you have those surveys, those people surveys, what are you actually actioning them? Because if you're not, you're breaking trust. Absolutely. And also as well, just remember that those surveys in and of themselves are not going to tell you the whole picture. Because even when people are doing those surveys, it's always, is it really anonymous? Am I really going to get it? So you have to take it alongside data that you gather through listening, through interviewing, through having somebody else involved. But yeah, exactly. I say this all the time. What's the point? I was talking to a large um, law firm recently. And it's like, oh, we're doing this employee survey. Oh, we did this employee survey and X, Y, Z came out. Well, we didn't agree with this. Well, we didn't. So what are you doing about this? Well, we don't know. We don't know if we're doing anything with it. And I'm like, you've just completely lost trust in your organization by doing that survey. You might as well have not done it. Oh, absolutely. And I think you've got to have, if you're going in it expecting that you're going to come back with a glittering report. What's the point in doing it? <laughs> yeah. Just speak to people you like and they'll tell you what what you want to hear. So I think it is that. I think you've got to prep. I think you've got to be prepared for the worst. But also, you know, once you've got that information, people need to feel like something is being done. The biggest killer is apathy. And that is what you get. You get broken trust. And then you, you know, you, why they're just never going to perform there. You know, that's when your retention, you, you're breaking a fundamental of that being human, which is that connection and that trust. And this apathy, I think a lot of the time comes from fear. Um, you know, it comes from fear of, I guess, owning, you know, your own, areas for development it comes from fear of having those difficult conversations but I was talking so I'm based at the university and I was talking to um, somebody recently who they'd done some research they sent out a survey to um, graduates and um, around employment about the workplace and they said that the results that came back from the survey about what they want to see in the workplace he said you know it wasn't even on the the the, the, the most common kind of result wasn't even on the survey and he said basically everybody just said they want organizations and leaders to have those difficult conversations he said we didn't even put it on the survey but that was what came back top hmm. you know people want it's like parenting you know kids do want you to have boundaries kids do want you to have those difficult conversations and it's no different in the workplace you know it's about balancing. It is about balancing that, isn't it, with the empathy. And it is about balancing the masculine and the feminine energies. Uh, uh, yeah, ab absolutely. Um, and I could, I think, wax lyrical on this on this topic because I see so often how, how very small things, it's often really small tweaks, if you catch it early enough in someone's journey, that actually set them on the course to be a different type of leader. And I say this as well, that normally when I'm working in an organization, it's the small things over time. Because that's the other reason I think that a lot of people fear having a third party and, oh, they're going to come in, they're going to expose us, and then they're going to ask us to make massive changes. You know, that's not that's not what we're going to do, is it? We're going to go in, we're going to find what's working well, we're going to build on it, you know, and it's going to be small things that get traction over time. Yeah. Can I ask you, 
because we, we, we need to wrap it up soon, even though I could go on about this forever, um, you know, because there are so many more things I'd love to delve into. But can I ask you the one thing that you've learned about yourself throughout your journey? The one most important thing? I know it's a difficult question because you've probably learned loads. But what's the most important thing you've learned about yourself? That is a really good question. And I think for me, if I have to really boil it down and look at what was the sea change, what was that moment that really changed me as a, as, as like a person, changed my leadership, just just really almost course corrected me. And that was actually like self-development, taking me, putting me first and appreciating that I'm not a finished article. I don't need to be the finished article. I don't need to be perfect. I mean, that's a journey in itself as a recovering perfectionist. But actually just taking that step to be like, there is a different way. And that is, and, and th there wasn't m much on offer for me. I, I sought it outside my organization. So I really took it on my own journey. But that has been the number one thing, which is why I'm so committed to offering the same to others, to creating that safe space for women, to creating a place where they do have access to that and in a way that's really beneficial for them professionally and personally mm. because if we get that right I, I don't think the statistic about women doing the lion's share of you know raising and nurturing children will, will drastically change okay. so if you actually help and support women you're actually going to be inadvertently training a new generation you're going to be introducing those, the things, what they've learned into another generation, into the next generation. And I think for me, that kind of ripple effect of that power of that journey is just, yeah, it, it, it makes everything that I don't like, you know what I mean? That I don't like doing or <laughs> being like, that's my bigger goal. Yeah, no, I talk about this a lot and I talk about, you know, kind of you know um empowering is that the right word but the younger generation and because i think it starts with it starts at home it starts it also starts with the education system but we're not going down that route um but yeah i'm totally with you because you know i that's what i'm trying to do with my kids you know i dragged my son to the office with me yesterday you know it's like you you are going to see a woman a strong woman you're going to see a woman who can love you and can nurture you and can give you everything you want but also build a career and be successful and be a leader, you know? Um, yeah. So brilliant. I love that. I do love that. And I think also as well, just to draw from what you said there about your, your journey um, and kind of, I think, uh, you know, I don't know if this is kind of what you're trying to say as well, but it's about accepting yourself, isn't it? And it's mm. about not looking for that from other people. And that's hard. That's hard. But I think when you when you can nail that, or do you ever nail it? No, it's always a continuous journey. But I think when you can at least you know begin to shine light on that, I think things begin to change. And I love I, lo I do love how you said it's about recognizing that things can be can be done in a different way because you know trailblazing. That's what we're all about, Rebecca. Ann. <laughs> <laughs> so, Absolutely. Can you let people know where they can find you? Yes. So um, you can. On all across all platforms, you can find what's called the Successful Leaders Collective. So you can uh, search for that. 
Um, you can also find me. I live on LinkedIn and you can find me personally as uh, Rebecca Ann, Rebecca Ann Consultancy, I think, if you find me. But yes, I'm across all platforms. And you can also check out my website, which is www. I will make sure that I link all of that in the show notes. Um, but thank you so much. Thank you so much for this incredible conversation. Um, you know, it's so great to hear people that are kind of, you know, singing from the same hymn sheet, you know, we, we will, we will make the change. <laughs> okay. Thanks. Well, thank, yeah. And thank you so much for having me on it. It's been, yeah, I think we could talk about this all day. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you. And that's a wrap. Thank you so much for listening. We really hope that you enjoyed the show. And if you did, please do like, comment and share with your audience. If you would like to know more about how I am championing and implementing fearless workplace well-being one bold step at a time then please do connect with me on LinkedIn or on any other social media channel using the hashtag Rebecca Healed Leadership. You can also email me Rebecca at Rebecca-Healed.co.uk or you will find me at www.Rebecca-Healed.co.uk. Thank you again for listening and I hope to see you next time.